1: And now, here's your host.
0: Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Over the course of my podcasts, I sometimes mention Disney's Vacation Club. And today, it's finally time to talk about it in more detail and tell you what I think about DVC, what it is, and maybe I'll give you a little lesson on how to manage your money. Now, full disclosure... I have rather a strong opinion on the topic of timeshares, and it can be summed up by a quote attributed to Chris Rither, who owns One Mean Dream, and that's sort of a think positive website that makes forays into financial well-being and is not a site about one man's dream. He says flat out a timeshare is a sucker's bet because it preys on the emotional feelings people have for their favorite vacation spot. The problem is that we go on vacation to get away from our responsibilities and now we've turned our favorite vacation spot into another financial liability. And what fun is there in that? But I promise that I'll be fair to Disney and give you the facts. And hey, it's high time since the DVC is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Now, before I get into details, let me state up front that I'm not a financial advisor, nor am I an attorney. In no way am I suggesting that you buy or not buy. I'm just giving you information to help you make an informed decision. Now, let's start with the basics. Disney says that their vacation club is a vacation ownership program that offers members flexibility and value, as well as a magical Disney vacation year after year. But what is it? At its heart, it's a vacation timeshare program owned and operated by the Disney Vacation Development Incorporated, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Parks and Resorts, which is a unit of the Walt Disney Company. Disney will not ever refer to DVC as a timeshare overtly, because that's got a negative connotation to it, based on pre-Disney high-pressure sales, shoddy development, and large defaults in the 1970s and into the 80s. In Disney marketing parlance, it's a vacation club, which, by legal definition, is a kind of timeshare. Now, if you peruse their website, they do tell you it's a timeshare, because they have to, but they try and stay away from that term as much as possible. A timeshare itself is a property with a particular form of ownership or use rights. These properties are typically resort condominium units in which multiple parties hold rights to use the property, and each sharer is allotted a period of time, typically one week and almost always the same time every year, in which they may use the property. Units may be on a partial ownership lease or a right-to-use basis in which the sharer holds no claim to ownership of the property. The first timeshare in the United States was started in 1974 by the Caribbean International Corporation based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. It offered what was called a 25-year vacation license rather than ownership. The contract was simple and straightforward. The company promised to maintain and provide the specified accommodation type, a studio, one-bedroom or two-bedroom unit, for use by the license owner for a period of 25 years until 1999, in the specified seasons and number of weeks agreed upon, with only two extra charges, a $15 per night rate frozen at that cost for the life of the contract, and a $25 switching fee should the licensee decide to use his or her week or weeks at one of the other resorts. The presentation's logic was based on the fact that the cost of the license and the small per diem compared with the projected cost of the hotel rates climbing over the next 25 years to over $100 per night would save the license owner many vacation dollars over the span of the license agreement. The license owner was allowed to rent or give the weeks away as a gift in any particular year. The only stipulation was that the $15 per night must be paid every year whether the unit was occupied or not. This must-be-paid yearly fee would become the roots of what is known today as the maintenance fees once the Florida Department of Real Estate became involved in regulating timeshares. Now, the timeshare concept in the United States caught the eye of many entrepreneurs due to the enormous profits to be made by selling the same room 52 times to 52 different owners at an average price in 1974 through 1976 of $3,500 per week. Now, shortly thereafter, the Florida Real Estate Commission stepped in enacting legislation to regulate Florida timeshares and make them fee-simple ownership transactions. This meant that in addition to the price of the owner's vacation week, a maintenance fee and a homeowners association had to be initiated. This fee-simple ownership also spawned timeshare location exchanges like Interval International and RCI, so owners in any given area could exchange their week with other owners in other areas. Cancellations or rescissions, that is basically giving up your timeshare, to the timeshare contract remain the industry's biggest hurdle to date. In short, that refers to people wanting to get out of their contracts. Now, major international hotel chains such as Hilton, Acor, and Marriott have introduced their own vacation ownership programs, which are based on the point system. The share of membership sold is either deeded or with right to use the club services for a certain number of years. Now, there are also vacation clubs that may own units in multiple resorts in different locations, offering service to a private customer base for a sense of exclusivity. Some clubs only consist of individual weeks at other developers' resorts. Vacation clubs cater to a wide range of economic backgrounds and income levels. With that out of the way, now let's turn to Disney. The Disney Vacation Club first came on the scene on October 1st, 1991, at the Walt Disney World Resort. Now, it's interesting that they picked October 1st, 1991 as the start date. That happens to be the 20th anniversary of the Walt Disney World Resort opening, and in particular, the Magic Kingdom opening. So they picked it as kind of an emotional tug to start it off at that point when they were celebrating their 20th anniversary. The Disney Vacation Development Incorporated, announced on March 30, 1993, plans for a 440-unit timeshare resort in Florida, about 95 miles southeast from Walt Disney World, with groundbreaking on July 28, 1994. This resort hotel opened as the Vacation Club Resort on October 1, 1995, in Vero Beach. So, the Vacation Club Resort at Disney World was renamed the Old Key West Resort in January of 1996 to avoid confusion. And then on March 1, 1996, Disney's Hilton Head Island Resort opened on Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. Now, since then, it's grown to nine properties at Walt Disney World, one at Disneyland, three outside the theme parks, including the Hilton Head, Vero Beach, and Olani in Hawaii. Each of the properties is a higher-end resort, more like a deluxe resort in the Disney Hotel parlance. Now let's talk a little bit about the kinds of rooms that are available. There are a couple of different sizes. There are studio units, which are about the size of a Disney deluxe hotel room, somewhere in the range of 350 to 415 square feet, and include a mini-fridge and a microwave. Most studios sleep four. Next on the scale are one- and two-bedroom villas that include a full kitchen with the basic cooking utensils, pots, pans, and dishes, and a living room in addition to the bedrooms, plus a whirlpool tub in the master bedroom and a washer-dryer in the closet. Now, most one-bedroom villas sleep four. Most one-bedroom villas have one bathroom, but at the Animal Kingdom Kidani Villas and Bay Lake Tower, they have actually two bathrooms. The two-bedroom villas sleep up to eight. Most of the two-bedroom units have two bathrooms, but at the Animal Kingdom Kadani Villas and the Bay Lake Tower, they have three bathrooms. There's also the tree houses at the Saratoga Springs Resort, and they have three bedrooms and sleep nine. The bungalows at the Polynesian Villas have two bedrooms and sleep eight. At the Animal Kingdom Villas, the Bay Lake Tower, Boardwalk Villas, Villas of the Grand Floridian, and the Old Key West and Saratoga Springs, they have three-bedroom grand villas for the ultimate in luxury and space. These can sleep up to 12 and offer full kitchen, laundry facilities, and more. Most grand villas have four bathrooms, one for each of the bedrooms, plus an extra off the living room. So you can see how the, the sizes and configurations can vary. So you really do have some ability to select a size that works for you and your family. Now with all the basics out of the way, let's delve into how it works. Disney's fractional ownership is similar to the model of selling a unit to 52 different owners, but is managed a little bit differently, giving the owners flexibility in where they book and allowing Disney to sell some multiple of time using a formula to reach a sellout, rather than specifically selling 52 weeks for each unit. Just based on this, I'm sure that you can see how lucrative This would be for Disney. If you're selling the same unit multiple times, certainly you stand to make a lot of money on the deal. And to any developer who does it right, the timeshare has an enormous profit margin. Even half sold, it's still got a high return for any developer, Disney included. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this is a highly regulated industry, and you are entering into a real estate contract with specific terms and a long timeline. You're purchasing a deeded and transferable interest, though the law allows them to technically refer to it as a prepaid vacation plan rather than a real estate investment. But in spite of all the legalese, the thing to keep in mind is that the plans go anywhere between January 31st of 2042 and January 31st of 2066, depending on which resort you buy into. Now hearing what I've said so far, you can probably see the allure of owning. I admit, it's tempting in its own way, especially in the way it's pitched but let me present to you some facts to give you a starting point to decide for yourself. Certainly, some people just want to lock in an annual vacation with Disney, with family and friends, regardless of whether it's a good deal or not. Ultimately, many DVC members have joined because they found the connection with Disney to be of supreme importance above all else. So the basic premise is is that you invest in the program, and in return, you're given a home resort and a set of points to use each year. Unlike traditional timeshares, where the week you purchased is the week you have to vacation, in the DVC, the the points can be redeemed at any time during the year. More on that in just a minute. But let me talk about some other things before I talk about point redemption. Now, let's set aside all of the other factors for a moment and focus on the cost. And don't worry, I'll try and keep this as simple as possible, and you won't be quizzed at the end. Just bear with me for a minute. Now, one of my big things, personally, is to make your money work for you. To simplify, I always like to break everything down into today's dollars, thus allowing me to see what something costs me today as a net present value or today's dollars. Now for this example, I'll consider the Polynesian's new bungalows as the home resort and base this around info gathered in early 2016. The way this works is to pick a number of points that fits your budgets and go from there. You can add more points at a later time for an additional fee, But the points you're granted can be redeemed for stays based on various factors. The initial buy-in cost for the investment of your deeded share of the property is $168 per point. The usual minimum that they require you to purchase is 100 points, and essentially that amounts to having 100 points per year that you can use. So we'll go with that, 100 points at $168. Doing the math, that comes out to $16,800, which you can either pay in cash or you can finance. Should you choose to finance, through Disney, the rate is somewhere around 12% interest over 10 years. So with closing costs, you wind up spending nearly $30,000 in today's money. That's about double if you're scoring at home. Better to have the cash or to get a lower interest loan before investing. That's my word to the wise. Don't finance if you don't have to. Any finance company loves to loan you money because they make rather a lot on the loan. And the benefit to you is small except that you have the money now. In my humble opinion, you should pay cash. Don't rack up interest on real estate loans or credit cards, for that matter, if there's any way you can avoid it. Anyway, be that as it may, that's not the only fee. In addition, there are monthly dues, currently set at $50.75 per month, or about $610 per year. Now remember, this is a 50-year commitment, and in most years, there's been about a 3% increase year over year in the cost. Contractually, they could go as high as 15%, But let's leave it at 3% since that's been typical for the last 20 or so years. So the expected cost for dues, considering that it's $610 per year, is $69,000 over the life of the deal. It could be more, but that's probably the minimum you'd pay. Now there may or may not be some of the additional assessments or fees that come up during the course of the life of the contract. It's impossible to know what those costs will be, but for the sake of argument, let's say that at some point you have $10,000 in other costs, or there's one year that has a higher-than-normal increase so the cost goes up. So $10,000 is probably on the low end overall, but let's just go with it for the point of discussion. So in total, we're looking at the initial $30,000 investment that you financed, $69,000 over the life of it at your $610 a year, and about $10,000 that would be miscellaneous that you would have to figure in there. So you're looking at about $109,000 in today's money. That's a lot of money. Double the average that analysts often cite as the $50,000 medium income level. And you could instead buy a modest house or condo for that kind of money. So taking a moment and just breaking that down and dividing it up over the 50 years, that's like $2,180 per year. And I know, I know, I just shifted from today's dollars into a yearly amount. And that's not really fair. But I really just wanted to see what I was looking at for an equivalency for this year, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Now, as I said, each year, you can redeem your points for stays at your home resort, or you can book at another resort. The number of points needed for a stay varies by the time of year and the size of the space. A three-night stay over the summer on a weekend in a studio in your bungalow home resort will cost you 91 points. Now, here's where the comparison comes in. The standard rack rate for a theme park view at the Polynesian in the same time period is about $800 per night, or about $2,400 for a three-night stay, and that's before the 12.5% tax is added on. Compared with the cost of $2,180 for this year at a DVC, DVC is a better value. But suppose you didn't get a theme park view, or you stayed at a moderate resort instead. The value proposition starts to change. Now, we've already included the increase in DVC, so essentially the cost per year is about the same. You can kind of divide it up and be fair. There's other calculators you can use to really figure out what it would cost you year over year, but essentially you're going to be in that same range as long as the increase stays about the same every year. But the cost at a deluxe resort will continue to rise at some rate that we don't know. So as a DVC member, assuming the increase stays at around 3%, you probably will come out ahead if you want the deluxe accommodations. Now, keep in mind that this is just an example. The points are a little fluid and fairly flexible. In this scenario, you have nine points left over you can use another time. Or if your package costs you 110 points, you could borrow from the future and bring 10 points over from next year, leaving you with 90 for the following year, and so on. You can do all these things with it to use your points as as you see fit. Now, it requires some thought to decide how many to use and how long you want to stay but this gives you the general concept of how it works. There are calculators online that tell you by location, by size, and by date how much a particular stay will cost you in points. Now, you'll find that your points go farther if you go at an off-peak time and stay during the week. The same 100 points can get you a week's stay in a non-theme-park view at one of the other resorts. With all of that said, let me just give you a little perspective here. The DVC properties are great. The rooms are nice, and they have some amenities that typical hotel rooms don't, and they tend to be a little bigger. The grounds are wonderful. You've got amenities that you don't have otherwise. And, hey, you're staying at Disney, which can't be beat. And they welcome you home when you go to check in, which is always kind of cool. But there is one small downside to staying at the DVC properties. And that's that mousekeeping doesn't come every day. At a DVC property, it's it's more like home. And they only come, like, once a week. There's a schedule for it, but something like that. Is it trivial? Maybe but it's something to keep in mind if you really enjoy having someone else take care of you and cater to your needs changing towels and doing those things and you don't have to do laundry there is that to consider now they do offer laundry facilities which is really nice and that does help but you have to want you have to think about what that what your vacation means to you and what you want it to be like now as i mentioned you can exchange your points for other things as well you can exchange them for cruises trips to Disneyland, other properties that Disney owns, or even some other properties that Disney partners with that aren't owned by Disney. So you do have some options to use your points. Now, to be fair, my example only considers the cost of accommodations and nothing more. There are many other things you can consider, and you really should do your own analysis to determine if it works for you. Don't forget, there's still the cost of theme park tickets, add-on experiences, food, and travel expenses as well. But because there are costs you would incur anyway, I don't include them here. The catch is that DVC members can get some discounts on some of these items, so it's impossible to do a complete comparison apples to apples. And to be honest, that's by design. Disney wants to be sure you're led to believe that their DVC sale is a better value. But make no mistake about it that Disney gets the primary benefit from the sales. They wouldn't do this if it weren't enormously profitable for them. Yeah, it's great to have this emotional connection to Disney and have this ownership, but as they say, choose wisely. Now, once in a while, there's an incentive to buy, making the fees lower, or they reduce the minimum number of points. In those cases, the value proposition changes and tends to be more in your favor, so that if you're looking to buy, you might want to wait until there's basically a sale. Now, the other side of the coin, and really the reason that I'm not a fan of the Disney Vacation Club ownership, is the opportunity cost. Now, opportunity cost is what else your money could be doing for you, rather than It being tied up in a Disney vacation. Supposing we were to take the money and invest it at a rate of 6% per year compounded year-over-year. Let's say we only take $20 a week, meaning $1,040 a year. Over just 10 years, we'd have $15,570 where the interest earned is over $4,000. Think about that as you consider how much the DVC will cost you out-of-pocket. Self-investing is a wiser way to use your money, and you can add more to it or change the way, change where you stay and pick and choose a little differently. I'd argue that it's more flexible, but I do realize that for some people, managing that money can be a chore, and for others, they might not be able to separate it from the usual household funds. You could always just put the money in a jar each week and every couple of months deposit it, and of course you could set up another account at the bank and keep it separate, but that's really an individual decision and in how you feel about it. One thing to keep in mind is self-investing the money instead of spending it on a DVC membership means your money remains liquid and available in case of emergency or changes to your financial situation. If you invest the money and want to stop vacationing at Disney World, you can easily divert the funds to somewhere else. Now, knowing all of that, everything that I've just told you about DVC and ownership of DVC, I want to suggest a better option, and that's renting points. Some other DVC member may have the points that they can't use for some reason. They may be willing to essentially sell them to you at a fixed rate. The rate will vary, again, depending on the space needed and the property. But here's an example of how that might work out. Supposing you want to go and stay 11 nights at the Animal Kingdom Lodge in, let's say, May of this year. Looking at a chart of the points required, it would take 116 points to cover a studio for that duration. If you rented the points from an owner to stay at the Animal Kingdom DVC property at $14 a point, the current going rate, it would cost you $1,624. If you chose to stay at the lodge itself, 11 nights would cost you about $5,236, including tax, at the standard rack rate. If you found a discount available, say 25% off, that would come to about $3,900. So the option of renting points certainly is a better value, and that's kind of the point. Disney already has the money coming in from the owner. They'd rather let someone else stay there and enjoy a vacation and spend other money on food, souvenirs, and everything else that you might do while you're there than just let it sit empty, and possibly they could entice the person who's renting the points to purchase the DVC for themselves. It's kind of clever marketing when you think about it. And meanwhile, the hotel will still sell plenty of rooms because people want to stay there too. Now, maybe you'd like to consider resale points. One thing to keep in mind is that the resale points don't have all the same privileges as the points purchased directly from Disney. Resale points are valid for reservations at the Disney Vacation Club, RCI Exchanges, Club Cordial, and Club IntroWest. west Resale points are not valid for making reservations within the Disney collection, including all non-DVC resorts at Disneyland and Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, Disney Resorts Outside the U.S., and so on, and the Concierge Collection, which is a Dozen or so high end hotels and resorts that have a direct relationship with the DVC or the Adventurer Collection, which is the Adventures by Disney. The best bang for your buck, certainly, is to use DVC points to stay at a DVC resort. And points purchased in the resale market will allow you to do just that. Now, there are plenty of places online to look for point rentals, there's a lot of sites out there that uh, dedicate themselves to that. You can also go to some of the major message boards that cater to Disney fans and check around there too to look for the ones that are reputable or look for people who are willing to sell their points. And I have to tell you that most people are pretty easy to work with, the transactions are simple, and they're pretty smooth. I actually haven't heard about anybody having problems renting points because you can verify it with Disney after you've gone through the transaction. Especially if you use a credit card, it's pretty easy to kind of manage that and make sure that everything works right. If you're still uncomfortable with that and don't want to rent points from someone directly because you don't feel comfortable doing it, there's another option you have, and that's to pay cash directly to Disney for a DVC stay. Essentially, you're renting the points from Disney. It costs about the same. The caveat is that it usually includes a sales pitch to buy in, but it cuts out the owners and cuts out that middleman. You can explore the various sites to learn more about how that works as well. So you're probably wondering to yourself, should I buy or shouldn't I? So here's something to consider. The break-even amount in 2015 seems to be around $2,000 or so. The 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 back-of-the-envelope calculation, as they say, would be that if you average less than that per year on your accommodations, DVC is probably not going to save you money. If you spend more than that per year on average, and you can afford to write the check for the buy-in amount, it's worth considering a DVC purchase. Now, maybe you don't vacation at Walt Disney World every year, but when you do go, you like to stay in luxurious accommodations. DVC may still be a good bet for you. You can bank your annual points, allowing you to skip a year. You can sell those points to someone else. In fact, by carefully banking and borrowing points, it's even possible to skip two years and only use the points every third year, and you could rent out any excess points. So you have some options and some flexibility that way. Now, another DVC benefit, you don't pay extra when you have more than two adults in the room. This is true whether you own the points or whether you're renting the points, or if you're paying cash. The Disney Resort Hotels charge extra if you have more than two adults in a room. Depending on the ages of the people in your group, this may save you quite a bit. And I've mentioned this a couple of times already. DVC contracts last a long time. Will you want to go to Disney World every year for 25 years? 35 years? If your lifestyle changes and you get tired of Disney vacations, or you suffer some financial crisis, or something else happens, the dues become really burdensome. One option you have, of course, is selling your membership or renting out your points to someone else to cover the dues. Realistically, this is the reason why DVC resales are always available. People do get in over their heads or just change their minds. Sometimes people get caught up in the sales pitch, and the idea of owning at Disney just appeals to them. And they don't always think that far ahead, looking at 30 years from now. The single biggest reason people sell timeshares overall in the market is that they can no longer afford the membership fees. And they inevitably go up. As I said, Disney's membership fees can go up as much as 15% every year. Now, Disney's rate of resale is higher than you might think, but well below the industry average number. That's why you'll find so many non-DVC timeshare memberships being given away, or nearly so on eBay and elsewhere, with the stipulation that the new owner takes over the fees. DVC memberships don't work that way, mainly because there's an active DVC resale market. There are even companies that specialize just in this. Stop and think about that for a moment. It's amazing that there are whole companies out there whose sole business is to help current owners of DVC properties find new owners and match them up and do the transactions for them and make sure that everything happens. It's an, there's enough business to keep companies going for long periods of time. It, it's incredible. Just think about how many DVC properties there are out there. You know, you think about, what did I say, there are nine properties, and in those nine properties, you know, if you figure there's 200 units in each property, that's 1,800 units and essentially you're selling each one 50 times, right? So let's just, we'll just round up to 2000 to make it easy. So that's like, you know, 100,000 potential resales you have in there. You have 100,000 potential owners that you're trying to resell to. So certainly there's always something for resale. Now, Disney is pretty smart about this. DVC has retained its value better than most timeshares that are out there, and that's partly because Disney buys back some resales under its write a first refusal clause when you sign the contract. It helps keep the resale prices up, and currently resellers are getting about 50-70% to of full retail price once they pay the associated sales costs. Additionally, there's a healthy demand for DVC point rentals, so it's often possible for owners to cover their dues by simply renting out their points. Now, as DVC memberships get closer and closer to their expiration dates, it's likely that the resale prices will drop. If you're contemplating the purchase of a resale for one of the resorts that expires in 2042, it's possible the resale value might drop significantly at some point, particularly since there are other DVC resorts that don't expire until 2057 or even beyond there. Given the success of DVC, there's every reason to believe that the additional resorts will be built, And on the other hand, there's a major advantage to buying your DVC membership having an expiration date. Eventually, you can get out of it. Most other timeshares are sold in perpetuity, which is not a benefit. It just means that membership fees will never, ever end. You'll be paying for it forever. So you're stuck paying those fees until time immemorial, basically. So how how do you know if DVC makes sense for you? Number one. Make sure that you have the cash on hand to pay all the upfront costs of membership without borrowing or without having to finance it through Disney. Remember, Disney is happy to finance it, but they'll charge a relatively high interest rate to loan you the money. It would certainly cost you more than if you went in with cash and probably more than if you went somewhere else to borrow the money from a bank, let's say. Make sure that the cost of dues does not appear to present a financial hardship based on your current expectations. Remember, it's been going up about 3% per year. What if it were to go up 10% per year? And that math changes, so instead of the $69,000 that it was, what if it was $100,000 or $150,000? How would that impact you? So kind of keep that in mind that you know, at a, at a reasonable rate, even if it was a little higher, would it impact you adversely? Third thing is you plan to continue staying at DVC resorts far enough into the future to make the membership at least break even for you. Next, you prefer to stay at a deluxe or DVC accommodations and or stay a longer time, like 10 or more days a year. And then finally, you're able to plan your vacations well in advance, ideally 7 to 11 months out. The challenge with the uh, DVC properties is, because certain times of year are enormously popular, sometimes it's hard to book the properties that you want, so you really have to book them more than six months out in order to get the properties you want, the dates you want. So you have to really do some planning in advance to make sure that you know when you can go. Okay, let's say you've decided to purchase. Now I would do three things, and the order on these might vary depending on how interested you are in buying, how soon you want to buy, and what your financial picture looks like. So thing number one is, I would go and listen to a sales pitch. Go ahead and sit down with Disney. Go to one of the vacation club uh, timeshare ownership presentations they do. They do them all the time. Sometimes they offer free ice cream to be able to sit there and watch the uh, the presentation. Do it. It's kind of fun. You can sit there and listen to the whole presentation. They are they are relatively low pressure sales. They're just trying to connect with you on an emotional level, but they're not trying to force you to buy. At that moment in time, they're trying to encourage you, but they're not trying to. They're not doing anything high pressure to try and get you to buy. Number two. Sit down and look at your financial picture. Make sure that the finances all work out. Number three, I would talk to an attorney. Make sure that I know what I'm getting into from a legal standpoint and what this means to me in terms of being able to get out of it. You're signing a long-term contract, and you want to make sure that it doesn't have any negative effects on you. There's a lot to consider here. I've laid out the basics for you. It sounds pretty simple. Disney will make it sound extremely simple. But it's not. You're signing a legal agreement and I always like to think that you should have an attorney on your side when you're signing a legal agreement. Make sure that someone has reviewed it and you know what you're getting into. So, you know, you should talk to an attorney beforehand to make sure you have some ideas. So once you've decided to actually make the purchase, generally only the newest resorts are available for immediate purchase directly through Disney. You can ask Disney to put you on a waiting list to purchase other resorts, though they are supposedly sold out. If Disney exercises its right of first refusal on a resale, or it gets back points through a foreclosure, it will turn around and sell those points at current full market rates to the next person on the waiting list. You can also purchase any of the resorts from the current owners who want to get rid of their memberships through a resale market. If your offer is too low, Disney will exercise its right of first refusal and buy it out from under you, which is nice for the seller, but a waste of the buyer's time. Be sure to research before making your offer so that you have a reasonable expectation of whether you're actually going to get the contract. That's not unlike buying a house. If you go in and you're going to buy a house, if you lowball the offer, someone else may swoop in and make a better offer and be able to buy that house. You need to think carefully about what your offer will be. The math turns out to be pretty similar, whether you buy a resale Of one of the older resorts that expire sooner or the newest resorts direct from Disney. The only difference is the length of time that your contract will go through. Now resale buyers still have the same privileges at the DVC resorts as those who buy from Disney, the same ability to book 11 months in advance at your home resort or seven months in advance for the DVC resorts. And this just in: As of April 4th of this year, Disney changed their policy the Disney Vacation Club is taking away discounts and perks for new buyers who purchase on the resale market rather than through the company directly. Those membership extras include discounts on merchandise, annual passes, and restaurants. They also include access to a lounge opening in Epcot soon. A sweepstakes and special events such as movie screenings, a member cruise, and recent party at the Magic Kingdom. A spokesman for one of the resellers said, I think they always do these things that protect their ability to sell for the full retail price. Why would people pay that retail amount if they're not getting extra benefits? Frankly, I'm surprised it has taken Disney so long to make this move. While resale purchases are clearly beneficial to the consumer, they undoubtedly cause Disney to lose direct sales. I'm sure it's difficult to sell points at $168 each when very similar products can be bought for $70 to $80 per point. Blocking resale buyers from accessing some of the most beneficial perks, like the annual pass savings and merchandise discounts, can only have a positive effect on sales. However, it may also cause a decrease in demand for resale contracts and an overall downturn in prices. In effect, membership has less horsepower now. For its part, Disney says, we see this policy change as a very positive step to ensure that going forward, our members who purchase directly from the Disney Vacation Club receive a premium advantage, in addition to all the magic that Disney has to offer. If you're interested in buying a resale, all you have to do is try Googling them. Just uh, go ahead and Google up a couple of names. Go to one of the major Disney message boards and look around. There'll be some listed there as well. I don't have any affiliation with any of them, so I have no recommendations for you. I'm just kind of generally suggesting that that might be a way to go. So there you go. That's the long and the short of buying into DVC. I don't like the idea of having my money tied up like that. I don't do the deluxe vacations generally, and my family and I don't do long stays at Disney on a regular basis. So as I said, it's enormously profitable for Disney, but not so much for us, and that's why I'm not a fan. It's not to say that I wouldn't consider renting points at some point in order to get a stay that I might really enjoy. I have stayed at the DVC resorts before, and they're wonderful. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. I really liked the stay there. I would do it again. I'm just not interested in buying into it. So that's my take on the Disney Vacation Club. It might be right for some, but in the simplest, simplest terms, if you're paying more for a timeshare than you would spend on a comparable hotel room, you've lost. If you spend less than you would on a comparable hotel room, you're winning. So just keep that in mind as you think about whether DVC might work for you. And that's my podcast for today. I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you've learned something about managing your money, thinking about DVC, thinking about the emotional connection, and you make a decision that's great for you. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps,